Happy Monday. The world is slightly brighter. Jake Arrieta has signed with the Philadelphia Phillies. Oh my God, it's a great day. And what a great day to share with both Kyle Scott at Crossing Broad and Bob on Twitter at fill in your <laughs> fill in your handle. I uh, I believe it's a BW Crossing Broad. Yeah, I think we could just just get it out there. It's Bob Wankel. I mean, that's that's my last name, and I think some people have figured it out. They they've looked at the size of my forehead and and have commented about it frequently uh, in our comment section, which is really neat. So yeah, that's that's what it is. Bob Wankel. Search Bob Wankel on Facebook. You just just look for the guy who has the receding hairline, and yeah. you're in. Yeah. Definitely hair has hair plugs. Yeah, it's yeah. very yeah, yeah, very yeah. sad. Somebody said he had an eight head the other day. It's just man. Commenters are, are ruthless. It's it's a beautiful and horrible thing at the same time. I have such a hard time keeping everybody's Twitter handles uh, straight now. I've screwed up Anthony's. I think I screwed up Kevin's. Our Slack room and our, our Twitter stuff is just totally different, and it's very upsetting. Um, look, th- like we kind of let off with here, the Jake Arrieta signing is huge. Um, and we're bringing Bob on because Bob is, uh, is going to be part of uh, what is eventually going to be some variation of the name, the Crossing Broad Network of podcasts, which we'll be talking about at some point. Um, Bob is going to be co-hosting a baseball show. Do you want to give a little bit of information to the people, Bob? Yeah, I mean, so uh, Anthony Sanfilippo and I, uh, who does the flyer stuff for the site, we uh, are going to team together here in the next few days, kind of get this off the ground. We're going to do a baseball show together. Uh, We felt that the the Phillies coverage in the city uh, right now, there's an opening in it. Uh, We think that, you know, after a few down years, uh, they're about to become relevant at the very least this season. And we think that they're obviously trending in the right direction. The signing today helps. And uh, this is kind of the time to get involved, and and so I think that Anthony will deliver a more professional perspective to things, whereas I will, you know, offer some analysis and and try to be level-headed, but also probably go off the rails from time to time, and and Anthony will hone me in, and I think it's going to be a pretty good mix and a pretty interesting show, so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting started with that in the next, you know, probably, let's say, couple days. Yep. And your credit is you've been covering, uh, you've done a majority of the Philly stuff on Crossing Broad for the last uh, six-ish months. And uh, you're also a you're also a head baseball coach, a head ball coach. That so is true. I think that is working in your direction. Um, do you guys have a name for the show yet? Uh, we haven't gotten that far yet. We're, we're probably going to have to try to come up with something kind of catchy, uh, but we're not there yet. We're, we're going to kick around some ideas, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. Two hardballs, sticks and balls? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure it'll be something weird. You know, I think that it'll probably be kind of punny and, and strange. So, yeah. Crossing bunts. Choking uh, up. <laughs> I like choking Ooh. up. Choking up. Oh, yeah, choking yeah, up. You got that ing, you got that, uh, ing slash, uh, is it a pronoun, a noun, whatever it is afterwards. You keep with the, okay. the crossing broad uh, hey. Palantari. That's not a word. It sounds like it should yeah. be though. That that yeah. is an option available to us, I I suppose. All right. Well that's that's exciting. <laughs> um where do we, well, real how time do we, stat how do we, here, by how do we the way. Follow that? All right, what? Uh well here, we'll follow with this icebreaker. A real time stat from at Sixers stats, uh, which is a verified account affiliated oh with the Sixers PR yeah. department. Okay. Uh I just thought it was like one of those random fan account always. How about that? Sixers post 70-plus points in the first half for the fifth time this season. The only team to do so more frequently than Philadelphia is the Warriors who have done so eight times. Uh, it's a nice little Sunday evening stat for you. To, uh, yeah, until you realize that they blow it every third quarter. But, yeah, that's fine. <clears throat> Hashtag Whatever. McCannon. Um, Jake Arrieta. I don't, so, I, um, not to I, – I don't know. I don't know when the best time to do this is, but um, 
like we were just saying, the baseball podcast coming out is going to be part of, uh, I, I, I would say, a pretty massive undertaking that's going on with the website um, and another branch of it. We're in the process of kind of finalizing a lineup um, with the vision of there being a Crossing Broad podcast of sorts coming into your, uh, into your feed every day, potentially, um, and giving you, you know, solid content as always. Um, it'll obviously be anchored in some way, shape, or form by this show, Crossing Broadcast, the baseball show that Bob and Anthony are going to be working on. Uh, based on where the Flyers are at right now, it felt like the right time to do a hockey podcast. That's going to be coming up uh, with Anthony uh, and I guess me. We waited until the last three weeks of the season and then said, let's do a Flyers podcast. Yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of makes sense. So that'll that'll be a thing that's that's in the pipeline. Kevin Kincaid, who uh, was a longtime Union beat writer, is going to be migrating his uh, his podcast. It's always soccer in Philadelphia that already has a pretty sizable uh, viewing audience or listening audience. And then um, just because I thought it would be fun to try to get Kyle convinced, uh, we're also going to be rolling out a uh, a recap and preview soccer show called uh, probably called Crossing Broad FC. That's going to be me, Phil Kaidel, who used to write about Manchester City, I believe, for... It was either Bleacher Report or uh, ESPN. Bleacher Report. And, uh, Bleacher and also, Report. For Bleacher Report, yeah. ESPN's just ah. a channel on TV. And uh, <laughs> and uh, Kevin Kincaid, who used to you know be a, a beat writer for The Union, uh, contributing in some, some fashion. So the idea here, as we were, you know, as I just said, is to provide you with a podcast every day. And if you're somebody who likes to follow multiple teams, uh, we're hoping that you're going to give them a shot give all the shows a chance we'll be doing some kind of an announcement on the website uh along with everybody's twitter handles and all that kind of stuff but make sure you check those shows out uh it's going to be it's i think it's an exciting time for the uh the website and yeah and the and podcast to, branch to add a little color to that um you know in case people are wanting you mentioned it was a massive undertaking we've secured a two million dollar investment no i'm just kidding um <laughs> no uh this yeah. was actually spearheaded by uh you russ largely for for those of you who are listening and Russ's idea was basically he's been uh, chomping at the bit to really kind of grow and, as you could probably tell, is um, super enthusiastic about this particular podcast, but also, um, you know, the white space in in Philadelphia podcasting. There are definitely a handful – there are definitely a couple of other big-name podcasts, uh, you know, the rights to Ricky Sanchez, uh, BGN Radio. And and then I think we, we probably come in uh, somewhere right in the mix of that top three, at least with in terms of our frequency. Um, those guys have been around longer and, and probably have a little bit more established audiences, and that's okay. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of white space. Um, I think podcasting has been done locally, largely, and I'm I'm not taking your idea here, Russ. I think it's been done largely, you know, sort of rather infrequently. So Russ's idea was sort of to. Uh, you know, really kind of regiment this and have a, have a weekly schedule. Um, so there is a tentative schedule. There's going to be at least two of these shows as you know them. There will at least be uh, a one sort of recap show, like an actual edited hour-long show, most likely on Fridays, recapping the best of the previous shows, and it's going to have a little bit of everything. And I actually think this will give us – this isn't, um, you know, the sake for more is more. I think there's a lot of places out there who just see the fact that it's easy to put out a podcast or easy to put out video content on Facebook and just think that more is better. That's not the goal of this. It's trying to get something good quality every single day and honestly probably even uh, certainly more expertise than what we've brought you with this show, whereas this show has always just been sort of the three of us uh, and now sort of two of us plus one. Uh, 
commenting on things that's going on, giving our opinions. We're going to be mixing in guys who, who really know their shit, uh, like Bob, like Kevin, like Anthony, into this show, and then also spinning them off into their into their own individual shows. Um, so there's a, a little bit of everything. You might not listen to every single podcast. You might not be into the hockey one. You might not be into the baseball one or the soccer one. But uh, my guess is a good number of fans will be into all of them or a decent chunk of them. So, uh, yeah, Russ has uh, sort of put all this together. So all the credit in the uh, in the world to you. And uh, have fun editing. Yeah, it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be the best. I don't know. I'm I I am very excited. It's given me a new life. This whole this whole process has been exciting, and um, yeah, I'm 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 really stoked for it. I, I think um, uh, this is the last thing we'll say about it. Is so much of the feedback that we get on this show is people wanting us to spend more time on specific teams, and I think this kind of frees us up to also just kind of take in and like have the ability to talk about all of the different teams and not just get pigeonholed into like just talking Sixers or just talking, you know, Eagles, but it also does free us up that if there is a huge story, we can kind of focus on it, but people will know that at some point that week, um, they will get kind of a, um, I think like a, a more professional view on it, uh, via the other shows. Or on the other stuff. If yeah. we spent three weeks talking about the Eagles in this, in the Super Bowl, then it, there is a sidecar show that's going to be talking about the Flyers and Phillies. So we don't yep. have to completely ignore it. And, and feel like on this show, I know we had thought like, well, if we're talking about the Flyers, it's the week of the NFC Championship game. Like, what are we doing? So I think this is a good way to hit all the topics and, um, you know, keep this a little bit more surface level and then the spinoff shows a little bit more in depth. Yep. So it's going to be it's going to be legit and make sure that you uh, check the website for updates. We'll probably be rolling something out, I would think, within the next week or two that has all of the details and all the links and all that. So we'll be working on that. That'll be exciting. Um, bef- I, I, I want to get into this Arietta thing. I want to kind of take people on a, uh, a, a path of what the last year has been that has kind of led to this culminating moment. Um, and then I want to get Bob's take obviously on Jake Arietta. So go back in the Wayback machine with me to last March 9th. Alshon Jeffrey, I think was like kind of the moment that Philadelphia, which we had kind of declared, and I think it was Adam on this podcast that declared Philadelphia as at rock bottom in Philadelphia sports history. March 9th of 2017, Alshon Jeffries signed a one-year deal. On April 4th, Chris Long was signed and Timmy Jernigan was acquired via a trade. On April 29th, the Flyers acquired the number two overall pick in the draft. On May 17th, LeGarrette Blunt signed with the Eagles. On June 19th, the Sixers made a trade with Boston for the number one overall pick in the NBA draft. On June 22nd, they used that pick to, to draft Markel Fultz. On Ju- the next day, June 23rd, the Flyers used the number two pick to draft Nolan Patrick. July 1st, we signed J.J. Redick and Amir Johnson to the Sixers, which kind of started to signal a paradigm shift in Sixers land of vets wanting to play for this team. December 2nd, 2017, Alshon Jeffrey defies all logic uh, and signs a four-year $52 million extension with the Eagles, signaling that he, he really did want to play here long term. December 15th, Carlos Santana signed a three-year deal. I'm going to go with a, another team that plays in Philly. January 19th, the Philadelphia Union acquired maybe one of their, their highest-paid signings in acquiring David Akam. Uh, February 4th, the Eagles won the Super Bowl. February 12th, Marco Bellinelli spurs uh, uh, offers from playoff teams to come play for the Sixers. February 28th, 
Ursan Ilyasova does the exact same thing and signs with the Sixers, uh, fortifying their place as a playoff team. And the Union, of course, acquire Boric Dashkal. March 7th, Buster only goes on record and says that he has heard from multiple scouts that uh, Philadelphia Phillies prospect Scott Kingery is like Dustin Pedroia, but with more talent. And now, March 11th, 2018, Jake Arrieta signs a deal with the Philadelphia Phillies. I think kind of putting a bow on the absolute shift of going from a, from a city that had maybe one contender at any given point to potentially, depending on how this summer plays out, going into a season and going into a year where you could have multiple potential title contenders, depending on how things work out uh, with the Sixers and such and free agency. Uh, it is an exciting time, and uh, Crossing Broadcast has been here for all of it, so you're welcome. We're totally the good luck charm. Bob, where does this uh, signing of Jake Arrieta put the Phillies within the division, and how much does it mean uh, for this franchise going forward? I think it probably depends who you ask. So uh, I looked up the Vegas numbers, and two days ago the over-under for Phillies wins was 76. And after the Jake Arrieta signing, the line was reset, and it was moved to 78-and-a-half. And so Vegas thinks that Jake Arrieta is worth two-and-a-half wins. And that doesn't seem uh, super exciting, frankly. Um, But when I look at this and I look at how this team is kind of currently constructed and where they're at in their rebuild, I think that Jake Arrieta uh, provides some stability. Uh, He provides answers to a a rotation that's, like I've kind of written a few times over the past few weeks, littered with question marks. Um, and, And really, I think that this is a guy with World Series experience. He's a former Cy Young. He's been extremely productive the past few years. And I really do think that he's a guy that you can kind of pair with Aaron Nola at the top of this rotation and say, all right, we feel pretty good when when these two guys go through the rotation. We feel pretty good about our chances on any given night. And I think that that's important. And when you look at what the NL East is and when you look at what the National League is, which is a very top-heavy league that, that has some very good teams like L.A., Washington, Chicago, but beyond that, there's not a lot there. I, I think that you can kind of work yourself into a spot where you think – this team can probably compete for a playoff spot and at least make it interesting late into the summer. So I think that this Arietta signing solidifies the Phillies as a relevant team at the very least and, and probably in the best case scenario makes them a factor late into the season in, in terms of playoff contenders. Um, and, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but that, that's kind of where I would start out by saying I think that this makes them relevant, and I do think in the best-case scenario they, they could realistically have a shot to compete for a playoff spot. Is he, um, looking at his stats earlier, he still had two pretty good seasons his last two years, down hugely from his um, out-of-this-world 2015. Is you know is that his new normal, or does he have the ability to bounce back to something slightly better than he was in 2016 and 2017? So you look at him in 2017, and he goes 14 and 10, 3.53 ERA. Right, starts 30 games, 168 and a third innings. Um, Not bad was, by any stretch. Yeah, he was he was very good uh, last year, and if that's what the Phillies get uh, over the length of this contract, I think that they're going to be in good shape. That's kind of I think what they're signing up for. There's a little bit of concern here. The guy's going to be 32 years old, or he is 32 years old. He just turned 32 this week, and uh, going into the season, if you listen to this, this is this is going to be the one negative that I throw at you. In 2015, uh, he has a 1.77 ERA, and that's his Cy Young year. And he has a 94.6 average fastball velocity. That drops in 2016 to 93.7. 
and last year it goes all the way down to 92.1. Um, doesn't seem super significant in the grand scheme of things, but that velocity's dropped each year. His innings have dropped each year, and he's become less productive each year. Um, and his strikeout-to-walk ratio has dropped. and his Yeah, and, uh, and really last year his slider, which has increased. been very effective in the past, has kind of, it kind of failed him in 2017. So there are red flags here. Uh, I think that that's part of the reason that the market cooled on him. I think that's part of the reason that he, he signed today on March 11th, a guy that has this type of pedigree and has this type of success uh, over the past few years. The fact that he was still out there, I think that that kind of speaks volumes to, to where some teams kind of view him heading. Um, however, uh, the guy, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to look at this and say, well, he's got big game experience and, and then just say that that's that in and of itself is, is good. I think that there's some teams that, that Jake Arietta would be even more risky than for others. Considering when you look at what the Phillies have in their rotation, which which isn't a heck of a lot behind Aaron Nola, uh, they have a bunch of young guys that I, I think are fourth, fifth starters, long men out of the bullpen, maybe really nothing more than AAA pitchers. I think the Phillies can, one, afford to, to roll the dice on Jake Arrieta because of that. And really, number two, I mean, when you look at their financial flexibility, they have minimal financial commitments beyond this season, and, and frankly... If they whiff on him, they can afford to whiff on him. Um, it doesn't preclude them from making other big signings, whether that be in terms of position players or starting pitchers. And so I think that for the Phillies, this makes a lot of sense. I think that you can get a lot out of this guy, and I think that if he can repeat, reasonably repeat what he did last season uh, and, and hover around those numbers, this is a really good signing for them. And don't overlook the fact that you have guys like Jared Eikhoff, Vince Velasquez, uh, Mark Leiter Jr. You know, you throw these names out, Tom Eshelman. These are all guys that are just kind of, they're just guys. And, and a lot of them have struggled at different points earlier in their career, especially Velasquez, certainly Eikhoff last season after a really good 2016. Jake Arrieta struggled too. And I think there's something to be said for that. Check this out, right? Jake Arrieta between ages 24, 26, and there's three years when he's in Baltimore, between those ages, 20 and 25 record, 5.46 ERA, 1.472 whip, a strikeout to uh, strikeouts per nine, around seven, okay? He gets to Chicago, ages 27 through 31, 68 and 31, 273 ERA, 1.034 whip, almost nine strikeouts per nine innings. This is a guy that kind of fumbled or, you know, he, he, he wasn't very good early in his career. He really struggled and he had all the potential in the world and then he kind of figured it out. And there is something to be said. You can look at sabermetrics, you can look at analytics and, and the numbers and the peripherals, and, and there are some reasons for concern. But Jake Arietta, paired with a young staff that does have varying degrees of talent. Some guys are supremely talented. I think Nick Pavetta has talent. I think the Vincent Velasquez has talent. You can't tell me that there there may not be a positive effect with Arietta being around this staff, and I, I don't think you can overlook that. Yeah, I... I... Kind of come back to the Nick Williams, uh, was it like January 17th, Nick Williams had been interviewed by some local media guys, and he had talked about having worked out with Arietta and what a freak he was kind of in the in the weight room and, you know, just his commitment to uh, to bettering himself, you know, in that venue as well as, you know, just kind of working on his craft, especially as a guy who, you know, has won a World Series and won a Cy Young and all that. But, um, you know, I think the parallel to this, in a, in a sense, is kind of what the J.J. Redick signing was to the Sixers. You're getting a guy who's a consummate professional, who's been on winning teams, and who ultimately is going to probably contribute as much as a locker room presence as he will on the field. And that's that's to say that, 
you know, both of those are going to be significant contributions. Um, I do think it would be, you know, to your point, it would be um, foolish to expect Arietta is going to come in and, you know, fill the, the Cliff Lee or the Roy Halladay role. I am worried that there are going to be casual fans who haven't followed the Phillies in a while thinking that, you know, looking at his his last few years that all of a sudden, you know, this makes him the the out and out number one starter on this team. And that people start putting these unrealistic expectations that, you know, he's got to go out and have like a 3.2 ERA and, and rack up like 19 wins. I don't see that happening at all. But it, it is a great signing on the field and in the clubhouse. It, it can't, I don't see how this could have ever been a negative. Yeah, I, I think this is it, Yeah. Sorry. Go, go ahead. Uh, no, no, I was going to respond to his, his Lee Halliday charge, but, uh, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, what's wrong with the Lee Halliday? No, no, no. Not, oh, okay. I thought you were honing in. I thought this was one of the, uh, no, the I was using it as, as a good, uh, evolution. Cause I was actually going to bring that up. So, uh, go ahead, Bob. And then I'll, I'll get back to that. I think that what they're signing him for is a guy that brings stability, uh, brings some amount of certainty uh, to to the rotation, but he is not Cliff Lee. He is not Roy Halladay. He's not going to to win over the city uh, single-handedly because of his own performance. Uh, you know, I think he's a guy that people are going to gravitate towards. I think they're going to like him. Um, I think they're going to appreciate the the work ethic and, and really how he kind of goes about his business, but he is not he's not that guy. You know, if you're expecting something that what you saw in 2015 from him, I I think you're going to be disappointed. I I think if you expect a guy that's going to be a productive pitcher that fills a role for this team and, and helps them trend in the right direction, moving into 2019, that's your expectation. I think that you're going to like this signing, but, but do not expect the guy to come in and just be lights out and and carry this team to the playoffs. Cause I, I don't think that's what he is at this point. Yeah, and I, the reason I was going to mention uh, the Lee thing is because I do think for a lot of casual fans, there might be that sort of, hey, here's a guy who's uh, 32 years old, a couple of seasons removed from a Cy Young year. Um, you know, are there similarities there? So just, it, you know, there's there's a little bit of a comparable here. Uh, 2010, uh, Cliff Lee was 31 years old, pitched for the Mariners and the Rangers, pitched 212 innings, 12-9 and nine record, nothing remarkable. Until you begin to get to the actual numbers that matter, uh, his his ERA that year was 2.34. His WHIP in 2010, I'm sorry, his ERA was 3.18, but his WHIP was 1.003. Led the league, Astron- astronomically good. Um, even bit, a little bit better with Seattle that year. He had 185 strikeouts to 18 walks, which is just absolutely disgusting. Just absolutely filthy. Now, you look at Arietta, same point in his career, 31 years old last year, uh, a season removed. Uh, I'm sorry, two seasons removed from a Cy Young year, a season removed from an all-star season. His ERA, 3.53, a little bit higher. His whip, 1.21, uh, significantly higher from what I guess, uh, um, I almost called you Adam. Bob, what I guess you would consider a Cliff Lee's whip to be absolutely outstanding at essentially 1.0. 1.21 is is good, but, um, you know, on the, the good to very good, Right, we'd call that. I would uh, say it's it's very good. Yeah, I think it's, it's it, he's he was solid last year. He was he was very good. And 163 strikeouts to 55 walks. Also very good. Like all of these numbers are solid, but when you compare them to Cliff Lee's, 
Lee's 2010 was completely off the charts, and he was coming into the Phillies at age 32 in 2011, still very much, very much as one of the top three premier pitchers in the game, with one of the other two being uh, Roy Halladay at the time. So, yeah, to your point, not quite on that level, but still very impressive stats. And I do think um, – I have two questions for you, Bob, uh, coming mm-hmm. off that. One sure. – um, yes, his numbers weren't as good as Cliff Lee at that point, and he wasn't quite as as dominant only in that 2015 season. But have we the fact that it took him so long to get signed has sabermetrics taken us? And I know there's sort of a popular narrative now that sabermetrics have taken us so far that ga- gaining the edge for teams is actually doing things the more traditional way because everyone's using the same set of numbers now it's it's actually relying back onto who your human talent is it and and that your your locker room and the guys building the team and forming the lineup and all these ancillary things that are not baked into the numbers but because sports are now viewed through through that lens like four or five years ago arietta i'm guessing is signed in december for a hundred plus million dollars I think that's yeah, that's that's Easy, a fair assessment. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. So you know, so that, that yeah, that's my first question is like, I, I don't think it took him so long to get signed because he's no longer good. I think that that sort of taints maybe your vision of him. A uh, part of it is him making sure they get the best offer, but part of it is also you know, sports have changed, and a 32 year old pitcher who's coming off um, you know kind of con- progressively decreasing seasons becomes that much harder of a signing in 2018 than it was in 2012. Uh, and the other question I would have for you is. Uh, his 2015 year, really good. And I'm not trying to get you to say anything crazy here, but like off the charts good, He-Man level strength good. Is there any concern that there was any sort of uh, uh, help that season that he was getting? I know yeah. I know that's unfair to speculate against, but like his numbers are so astronomically fantastic in 2015. Yeah, I mean, so look, if if you pull up like the baseball reference page, right, and you look at what his 2015 season was, I'll answer the second question first, I guess. 22 and 6, uh, four complete games, 229 innings pitched, uh, just 0. .4 home runs per nine. The whip was .865. I mean, the, the numbers are just, they're absurd, right? I I try to give guys the benefit of the doubt. If sure. you, we were talking about some anomaly that stuck out in the mid two thousands, you know, or in the mid nineties, you know, I always think about like a Brady Anderson, the center fielder from the Orioles, that like all of a sudden just showed up one year and hit fifty home runs, like those <laughs> those types of things. Like, yeah, I'd say like there's there's an issue here, and I know it's easy to be skeptical. Uh, I don't I don't think so. I, I don't think that it was. Um, I guess maybe the way to to phrase that question is, do you think that is a doubt that creeps up in the mind of of potentially a GM that sort of will look at those numbers and just take a second guess and wonder, um, you know, the fact that his next two seasons were much more, um, you know, in the bounds of gravity? uh, We'll consider that thing. And maybe that's something that leads to a longer uh, time frame that he's not signed. I don't know. I mean, he gets traded to Chicago, and he just becomes better in 2013. He he goes from the Orioles, actually struggles in the front end of 2013, gets traded to the Cubs in the back end. The ERA drops by, you know, four full runs when he joins the Cubs. 2014, he's really solid. He's trending in the right direction. Then 2015, he goes off. Uh, I just kind of think that sometimes you have athletes that struggle to put it together. They have all the talent in the world. They, they just can't harness it. Um, 
and, and then and then they finally do. And I think that he was just locked in in a way in 2015 where he just he just was in some type of zone that you kind of had the feeling like there's no way that he's going to be able to replicate this next season or beyond. But you, you kind of got the feeling this is a guy that is completely feeling it right now. I really don't know. You can call me naive, but I, I don't think that there was any, uh, you know, PD uh, assistance to it. I don't think that there was really any reason to 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 fear what he did in 2015 or 2016 for that matter. I think that those were legit numbers, and I think that the way that the system's being tested out now, uh, I think that they've really kind of cleaned up the game, and I don't think that there's really any reason to worry on that on that front. You mentioned his declining well, velocity earlier, uh, which is obviously a concern for any pitcher, especially someone who relies so much on the strikeout as they get later in their career. Um, is he a candidate for a guy for you who can quasi reinvent himself uh, without his power stuff and become an actual better pitcher at ages 32, 33, 34 than he was at 30 and 31? I mean, you see this a lot. I think that there's secondary pitches that he has that, that can allow him to be successful uh, without you know a 94, 95-mile-an-hour fastball on a consistent basis. But to say that he could be better from ages 32 on, I, I don't foresee that. And I think that you're talking about like GM's not offering the same type of contracts in recent years that they did maybe five, six, seven years ago. I think that the decline in velocity is more of a concern than the the numbers themselves. I think when you see a guy lose two, three, four miles an hour on his fastball over a two, three-year stretch, take a look at like Roy Halladay, right, when, when he was here and he's awesome in 2010 and he comes back and has a really good 2011 season and then that was just it. You know, it wasn't like – a slow decline over over time where you're like, well, he's still pretty functional. I mean, he was great, and then he was, you know, you couldn't even use him. It was just over. And I think that teams look at guys that have declining velocity that are now reaching the their mid-30s by the end of a contract, and they said, do we want to commit $25, $30, 35000000 million to a guy that we really don't think is going to – to warrant that type of salary because I think when this contract's all said and done, I just think that this contract makes way more sense for the Phillies and where they're at with their finances and where this team is in terms of its rebuild than a lot of other teams. You know, I think the teams that are a little bit more, that have a little bit more invested across the board don't want to make a $25 million a year mistake. They, they really can't afford it, uh, especially when you look at the free agency class uh, next year and beyond. Whereas the Phillies, they have all of this flexibility. They have all of this uncertainty in the rotation. And I think the Phillies are just a more willing team based on where they're at right now to say, you know what, screw it. This this division sucks beyond Washington. The National League stinks. We like Reese Hoskins. We, we believe in J.P. Crawford when Scott Kingery comes up probably the end of April. We have all the reason in the world to believe that he's going to be a good player. I, I wouldn't call him Dustin Pedroia uh, like that one tweet uh, earlier in the week that we talked about at the top of the show. But um, I think there's a lot of reasons to feel good about this team. And I just think that it, it kind of almost says, too, like, hey, we believe in you. We think that this is a good team. We think you're talented, and we're going to go out. And we're going to sign this guy and show you that we believe in you. And now it's your turn to go out there and compete and and make this weird this summer. And I think that that's where the Phillies are. I think that they're like, let's let's make shit weird. Let's do this. Whereas a lot of other teams are going to say, this guy's 32. The fastball is declining. Let's just stay the hell away. So I want to kind of circle around to a couple points. Circle back. Um, Kyle, when you had said earlier about you know why it could have taken so long and and does it taint you know, what kind of a player Arietta is in the public scope. I think you really can't overstate how important it is that Scott Boris is Arietta's agent. 
you Darvish earlier this offseason had gotten a contract that was six years, 126. And even though we knew that Arietta was going to get a higher average annual va- um, you know, value per season, I think that there was at least part of Boris wanting to kind of hold out for something that got closer to $30 million a year. Uh, I think Bob and I both had kind of said all offseason that it would have made sense, a three-year, $90 million deal for Jake Arrieta, I think, going into this offseason, is what people thought was going to be reasonable, and that's kind of why the Phillies were speculated as being a team that would be involved. And I think Bob had even said, like, after Lance Lynn signed, it just kind of devalued. It, it set a market in a bad way for Arietta where, like, I think teams like the Phillies were more interested in kind of getting something sealed because, like, you now have leverage. You know, Arietta, yeah, is he the best guy left on the market? Absolutely. But, you know, if he was demanding anything over $30 million or he wanted a, a long-term deal, which, you know, this could effectively be if the Phillies so choose to make it go, you know, past two years, it can go up to five years, Um you know, I think Boris's ego is kind of the thing that gets in the way in a lot of cases. And, you know, we will never know because we weren't in on those negotiations. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Phillies had been offering closer to $90 million for three years earlier in the offseason. And once Lance Lynn and once, you know, the rest of this uh, free agent market had been dictated, uh, I don't think Boris had a lot of leverage. He had practically none at all. And then it's you're just kind of pitting a few of these teams against each other. And they're all going to call BS at some point. And uh- so it, it ends up working in the Phillies' favor. I totally agree. I think the Boris is completely about optics. I think that the Phillies probably did come in with a, a strong offer early on in the offseason, maybe similar to what they ended up eventually offering that, that got this deal done, maybe even a little bit more. Um, and I think that Boris said, you know, once upon a time, a guy like Jake Arrieta at this point in his career is going to get a five, six-year deal, $30 million a year. And then that offer wasn't out there. And, and I think that you kind of have a little bit of egg on your face at that point. And yep. Lance Lynn goes out, signs a one-year deal. I mean, I was I was just sitting in a bar yesterday, and and I got a text message: Lance Lynn to the Twins, one year, twelve million dollars. I said, "That's it." That I mean, I wasn't really and up the, on Lance Lynn. I, I wasn't like crazy to go sign him, but I'm like, Christ, that that's all you're going to offer for this guy? And that was even like what happened with Mustakas. Like, yeah, he's a position player, but like he only got like what six one year and a half. Or, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah I think like, it was like, actually ended up being six and a half million. Yeah, like it's nuts. And like those were two guys that people thought were going to be highly sought after on the free agent market. It, it's almost it was weird. Like this offseason. And I already made you know the basketball comparison once, but like this is kind of like how the 2016 versus 2017 free agency periods worked out in basketball. Now, granted, they have a cap, and you know the players' association decided to like you know have the cap expand immediately in one year, where teams went out and did horrible signings, and then they they didn't have the flexibility to go out and sign anybody in in the 2017 you know um, free agency window, and it ended up hurting the players. This is like a, I think a similar kind of thing, even though there's no cap. Um, the thing that you guys had talked about with, you know, the potential of, of performance enhancing drugs, uh, just looking it up in 2016, Stephen A. Smith, uh, I don't know if I should go into Stephen A. Smith voice here, um, but on first take in April of 2016, he said, but I will say you shouldn't just be laughing at those who are looking at you and saying, excuse me, what the hell is going on here? Because it's not like they haven't seen performance enhancing drug uses before, at which point Theo Epstein came out. And said that it is a reckless accusation to make by somebody who's never in on um, on the the Cubs locker room. And Arietta himself actually came out and said that, yes, he will continue to laugh um, because he knows that, you know, what Stephen A. Smith does, you know, is it is what it is. And that Stephen A. Smith doesn't know the kind of competitor he is and all that. Um, there was a third thing. Oh, so. The the Phillies cap well it's not cap situation the Phillies payroll oh, before you situation? move on from the what? before you move on from that what? and I I I don't want this to dominate the conversation I was just trying to 
um, you know, posit that out there because I'm sure that is a conversation that comes up uh, in baseball circles. Uh, there was actually an article in the Chicago Sun-Times uh, last year uh, talking about how Jake Arrieta might be the Cubs' most tested player under baseball's quote-unquote random testing program for performance-enhancing drugs, enough that the muscular power pitcher might be able to make a case he's being profiled. I was tested a couple of weeks ago. I have one today, he said Tuesday before the game. So, um, you know, this isn't this isn't just spitballing it out there. He is a monster of a man. And, uh, you know, I, I am not certainly accusing him or anything i don't want it to come across that way i was just trying trying to put that forward because this was a notion that was out there that he was right yeah yeah absolutely Um, looking forward so when we talk about payroll and such um in the in the grand scheme of major league baseball the 2019 free agency class that everybody's so excited about the phillies enter that season as of right now with arietta's uh cap hit well, I, I call it a cap hit, but his money accounted for. The Phillies going into next season or into 2019 uh, are the 22nd uh, team in baseball. They only have $58 million ish committed to their payroll. Now, granted, that has plenty of arbitration things, team control contracts. Um, you know, baseball's got wank, wonk, I almost said wanky, uh, wonky oh, hey. rules on that kind of stuff, but... Uh, <laughs> Like guaranteed salaries, like it's it's Cameron Rupp, it's Carlos Santana, Cesar Hernandez makes five. Uh, Michael Franco, if he's still here, would make just under three million. Uh, Howie Howie Kendrick's on the books for three million still. I mean, like uh, listen, like, like it's me, crazy. Like, or four, I'm sorry, four million. It it is wild. Like the 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 biggest thing is we've talked about this before. The Phillies have such a glut of of young infield prospects that are going to cost you next to nothing for the foreseeable future. And your outfield right now is made up of like a double Herrera making like six million Reese Hoskins out there making peanuts and either like Nick Williams or Aaron Altair. It gives you the flexibility to go out and like if next offseason you want to go splash your money at Bryce Harper, which I wouldn't at $40 million as he's reported to want per season. But you could if you want to. Yeah, I'm you can. That. Yeah, you're good for that or no? Uh, no, I'm good on that. I, I'm not. I'm not in on that deal with Bryce Harper at that money. I mean, this is what I was saying earlier though. Like, if you're the Cubs, right? This is a guy that was like a World Series hero for you. He was there. You, everyone loves Jake Arrieta, you know. And it's it's hard to part ways with players that helped you win big, right? I mean, look at what the Eagles did last year, and we're going to be like, oh no, not Torrey Smith. He was such a consummate professional. Guy was an average wide receiver, you know. I don't think like, anybody. He's a class act. Thank you, Tori, for the memories. I mean, he's a guy that had a a very nice NFC championship game. And other than that, he was very underwhelming. Like, and you 13 catches in three playoff games. Yes, I know. Yeah. yeah. He did dropped off late. He dropped that one bomb in the NFC championship. But like you look at it, right? And so the Phillies have like 52 million, almost like 53 million, somewhere in the mid fifties committed to their 2019 payroll. So like you, and a lot of that is dedicated to Jake Arrieta, by the way. He's like 42% of their 2019 payroll. Yeah, between or, he and Santana, it's like right. 65 70%. Now, like, you look at the Cubs, though, and in 2019, they have $134 million committed. So, like, can the Phillies afford to whiff on Jake Arrieta? Sure. Like, let's just say that Jake Arrieta is a disaster this year, and now they're holding this salary. Can you afford to miss on him? Yeah, because it doesn't preclude you from doing anything moving forward. Whereas with the Cubs, like if you commit another $25 million on top of the 134 that you have committed in 2019, like you're limiting yourself. So you have to make a business decision there. I know a lot of people are like, well, if Jake Arrieta was so, or 
Arietta was so good, and Theo Epstein is one of the sharpest guys in the game, wouldn't he have found a way? Well, I mean, sometimes your finances just limit what you can do. I'm sure that Theo Epstein, in a perfect world, would have had Jake Arietta back, but he has almost three times the payroll commitment that the Phillies do next season, and that's why the Phillies can kind of step in and say, all right, you know, we'll get you closer to what you think you're worth, and, and that's how we end up here on March 11th. Well, Bob, to, and, to be fair, people are just concerned, you know, whether or not the Phillies are going to be able to work Jay Happ's $13 million salary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, yeah. that is a, yeah. a legitimate yeah. concern. What was his ERA that year? 2.93, yeah. yeah, I believe, right? Yeah. It's kind of burned in everybody's brain. Yeah, I remember sitting at a game uh, the year before they got Halliday, and we were looking at the scoreboard out in right field, and like Roy Halliday's deal, and it's like the eighth inning, the, the his number's up on the board, he's still in the game, and everyone's like, you can't trade Jay Happ. And I'm like, you got you got to be kidding me. I just, you can't do it, you know? So. He was so, but he was so good. <laughs> people fall in love here, man. They do. I'll say that. It is funny that like that. Should have kept. Should have kept. Yeah, should have oh kept. Uh, as we speak here, uh, Tyler Kepner, one of the uh, leading baseball writers for the New York Times. Uh, sidebar story on Tyler Kepner. My first baseball game as a four-year-old, I sat next to him, and he was like wow. six, seven years older. My parents, my mom talks to everybody, talked to the guy next to me. He was a, he was big, he had like his own baseball newsletter or something. For years, I used to ha- get Mike Schmidt and Phillies cards in the mail from Tyler Kepner. How old uh, is Tyler Kepner? Like I, would, I, I wouldn't. Well, I'm 34, so I would probably say he's like 42 okay. ish. Yeah. I was four, and I, so you know, he, he, he had was his like own a, baseball newsletter when he was twelve. Is that what he, you're telling me? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is what happens. Tell, you're not going to geography, and I don't think you're right about numbers. What do you I mean? I have a really bad. <laughs> you're saying that a ki- this guy at age eleven or twelve had a had a newsletter. Yeah, he was a no more than a young teenager. So no, his, so look, this is nineteen, and this is like what nineteen eighty-seven. So this I'm is nineteen. Him up right now, uh, this is an honest to god story. I'm not making this up. I have I actually emailed him several years ago. Um, probably right around the time I started crossing broad, I believe he, he follows me or at least used to follow me on Twitter, but, um, he, so I want people, I'm, hold on. I want people to Google him. He looks like Adam Lefko and Nicholas Cage had a really strange looking baby. <laughs> the Google image search of this is, oh my What's God. his age? Google his age. I can't yeah, find I it. See but him I, being, the, he looks like he's the, very 42. Yeah. Yeah. So long, good. so the, long story short, my first game, four years old, we go to the game. I think F- Phillies are playing at the vet. Uh, we are sitting in the same row or, or in front of behind this kid who is talking to my parents. They tell him it's my first game. I v- like v- I vaguely remember this. I remember more of the aftermath. But for years, my parents always talked about this guy we sat next to. He either had his own newsletter or like he was so into baseball and he was he would send stuff to my house for several years. Like a he sent me, I think, a Mike Schmidt card, like random stuff because hey, there's just like, this little just kid a- I met. Was it just a Mike Schmidt card in like an unmarked envelope? Like, here, honest hey. to God, it might be. I got to ask my parents about hey, this story. Uh, Kyle, I think your math is right. He graduated from Vanderbilt with a bachelor's in '97, which, if we assume yep. he was 21 or so, yeah, he'd, he'd be f- yeah. 41, 42. Yeah, he was Look like at a you. 12 major Kyle Scott. He was like a 12, 13 year old kid who, like, I don't know, like, had his own base. I mean, again, this when it's, you talk it's about amazing. people. You remember this stuff, but if somebody sends you something well, in Slack, yeah, I'm it's like, like, hey, man, it's like here, <laughs> hey, man, yeah, this but... in drafts six days later. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> but he really he can remember what, what Kepner was wearing that day. Was here, it a, here, uh, was it a yeah, button? Yeah, but here's <laughs> the thing. Growing up, like, as a little kid from, like, so four true. to eight, four to nine, my parents always talked about, hey, that, that guy Tyler Kepner sent you something. And he has, it's a very kind of you catchy, easy-to-remember name. And years later... 
uh, someone saw that he was writing, you know, like he was long before the New York Times. And then like, oh, yeah, hey, that guy is actually a baseball writer now. And then lo and behold, he's the leading baseball writer at the New York Times. What, what and, hold on, Bob, Bob, we haven't asked the main question here. I don't think he yeah. actually said it yet. You were like four years old at a baseball game and you're telling me that he was sending stuff to your house. When the hell does it come up what your address is? Uh, my, pa- my mom talks your to mom? everybody. So your mom's like, oh, he's he has a nice baseball site. Here, here's our address. It's send amazing us something. that you weren't abducted as what... a kid, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was not a oh site. He was a kid. He was there with his It was parents. a newsletter. He's like, your mom, so here's my I'm newsletter. Just... Can I have your address? You just have a lot of concerns yeah. and a lot of feelings. <laughs> I've met your mom, and I'm just, wow. I'm... She talks to everybody. I'm no just, joke, Tyler Kettner used to send me just gave your address away to every like, 12-year-old kid with a newsletter. So, so wait, why are we why are we talking so, about Cal the reason Cameron? I'm mentioning yeah, this was him? A, oh, it was a sidebar <laughs> that became a full segment. Oh my god! It was a sidebar because I, as we're speaking about it, New York Times link clicks up. Kepner wrote about the signing, and just I want to read the, to you the first two graphs here because I think it it, it it pretty much well encapsulates and succinctly encapsulates what we've been talking about for 45 minutes. Uh, this is why he's writing for the so New York Times. And just click uh, the no. link. Yeah. Why um, don't you message him like the Mertitas thing and see if he'll he's been honing his craft right since. He's 13 years old. Give the guy a break. Uh, quote, in a different climate for free agents, Jake Arietta would have been widely uh, courted over the last four and a half seasons. He's won more than half his starts with a 2.73 error on average, yada, yada, yada. But Arietta's 32 years old and an industry increasingly steeped in analytics has recalibrated the value of veteran free agents. Many have waited until deep in the spring trading to find new teams and been creative with the structure of their contracts. Arietta reached a deal with Philly on Sunday, but the dollars and years could vary widely. So, yeah, what he yeah, said. Uh, exactly. There you go. So there we go. That was that was a, a good nut, and it continues. And a lot of <laughs> the other you, things Tyler. we talked on here. <laughs> I'm just amazed. We talked for like six minutes. Went down that like Kyle Scott. This is your life. Have you? Did <laughs> so you ever you meet him? After, like, oh, hold on. Like, can, we just, can we just return to this for a second? Like, did you ever meet up with him after the fact? Like, hey, Tyler, let's get a beer one day. Or uh, no? Like, anything? I never met up with him okay. after sometime when I was either in college and after college when he was writing professionally. Whoever he was with before the New York Times, I forget who that was. I think it was a national publication. I want to say maybe SI, something like that. Uh, I actually messaged him and said, "Hey, I'm. I would like to start a sports magazine." Do you have any tips? And I, I recounted to him who I was, and he remembered. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember. You know, like I'm sending you newsletter. You were my only, you were my only subscriber. I used to send you stuff. I had one subscriber. I could not lose you. Um, Hello, fella, how you holding up? Some popsicles. It's a summer day. You want some popsicles with, with your baseball game? Is that a Family Guy thing? Is that what we're doing there? Yes. I mean, oh, it, it, Kyle, yeah, it dude, sure it's, it's really good that you didn't end up in his freezer. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, but he he did say he said I would I would focus on the internet now, and that was a couple years before crossing broad. But uh, I think one other time I reached out to him after I started the website, and I, I I think there was like a back and forth on like Twitter DMs or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I don't know how we got there, but uh, Tyler Kepner, <laughs> I've incredible. been get, I've been I've been reading him since I was four. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> um, was his newsletter printed on white paper? Did he like yeah. switch it up? Was there like a pink week, a blue week? Did it depend on what team he was writing about? You know, inquiring minds want to know. Probably don't answer that. I, don't I'm pretty that. sure I got baseball cards. I got baseball cards for a while. Yeah, but I, I, did I don't think know what he had like a were, newsletter. Like, what sure were your that... hobbies when you were 12 or 13? I mean, that's pretty impressive. I, 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 I feel like I 
I actually I created – I had several newsletters in, uh, like, uh, uh, grade school. I would come home on Thanksgiving weekend and put together newsletters. Wow. You know what no I would joke. do? Like, I would listen no to – I, I, I would play sports video games, and I would turn down the volume, and I would – I would broadcast them. Like, ah, I would announce yes. the yeah. sports games. Like, you know, I'd be like, oh, and he drops back the pass. He pumps. He looks. Like, that would be me. But, like, I think I, I never made a newsletter. That was about as far as I ever went in, like, the, the nerdy sports, you know. No no offense to Tyler Kettner. I'm sure he's a great guy. But I think that's about as far as I, I ever went doing that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, a lot. There you have it. So, uh, on the Arietta thing, uh, I want to point out to you guys, oh, I think one thing that's we have not touched on, which to me is a major part of this, He's fucking awesome as a human being, as a personality, uh, as a character. You're going to sell you know a lot of t-shirts, was? man. You're going to sell a lot of t-shirts. That's all I could say. I didn't so, want to hey, read I, I didn't want to read that iTunes review because I didn't want it to influence you, but somebody did leave a review where they asked if you can get through an episode without dropping an F bomb. So a uh, big big apology to the uh the did person I just who drop left that review. Yeah, dude. Yeah, like you yeah. you even emphasized no, it. Yeah, like you left yeah, it and too. Here's the funny yeah. thing. The person who left it whose name is going to be anonymous until they change it back to a five star. This person <laughs> has multiple times changed their rating in iTunes because I recognize this screen name. And now it says you want five stars. Kyle, get through an episode with no F bombs. Try it. Wow. They gave us they gave us a three star, changed it to a five star and said, There, I changed it. And now it's back to a one star. I don't get it. So well, no, we told time? we told them either leave us a one or a five. A three is unacceptable. So I no, I, I know, but I respect I'm, that. I'm saying they changed it to a five, and now they change it to a one because of your profanity. Well, it happens. Back but to who Arietta. changes an iTunes review three times. <laughs> Back Go to Arietta. I would like to point out that I wrote a post about him on October eighth, twenty fifteen. Quote: Jake Arietta, Jake Arietta is my new favorite baseball player, uh, and I put uh, I described his mound demeanor as Cliff Lee meets uh, Drogo meets a rye witted bull. Um, I was proud of that line. And I cited a tweet of his from the same day. My right nipple comes out of my tank top almost every pitch, so I place it back inside. This guy is like a, a walking Old Spice commercial. Um, so I, I, I think that part of it is is vastly underrated here. He is a character. Uh, he is like the quintessential. He is a man's man pitcher, and his beard is, is freaking awesome. Does that make it like he automatically becomes Kapler's favorite Philly, right? Oh, I said it was on here where I like said they're going to yeah, stand we... shirtless and punch each other and maybe <laughs> maybe maybe do titty twists. Like I, I really think that's going to be a thing in the locker room. Take that analytics. <laughs> <laughs> that's at least two, that's at least two war right there. <laughs> be bold, my man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's gonna. You know what? I think Arietta and Gabe Kapler are going to start. You know, they're going to say, "Well, he's never had PEDs, but he's had Pico," and they're going to try to convert. You know, turn that into a sponsorship, and it's going to be performance enhancing coconut oil. So that's really exciting. The Pico Power Plant. Well, it's funny because on uh, Arietta's uh, Twitter feed, he has a, a, a vial of snake oil that he uses for his beard. So it's going to be the battle of uh, coconut oil and snake oil chest uh, slapping each other back and forth into a frenzy. Now we just have to find his burner account or his burner blog that he didn't actually use his real name on. That was Gabe's biggest uh, misstep in his entire career. I, listen, I'm, I'm excited for all this. Like, I, I went out, like, uh, I, I opened up the app after I wrote my story tonight from the bathroom of a restaurant that I was eating at with my family, and uh, I wrote the story, and then I was like, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna buy some Phillies tickets, and, like, I just bought, like, eight standing room tickets for April 7th, I guess it is. It's the Saturday night game. It's, like, the one that, like, all the college kids go to and, and eat, like, 55 hot dogs and throw up on each other. Uh, that's the game I'm going to be at, so if, if anyone wants to hang out that night, I'll be there, you know. 
Are those tickets for all of the uh, Slack people, or are those? I mean, for like it, your, they could be for like, real I just, life. I friends? just bought them in advance and, and figured I could probably get rid of them at that point. I think like eight games into the season, there'll be enough optimism that I can can still unload them. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm like I'm amped up for it. I think people should be excited about this. Damn it, you know it is. It's it is interesting while. though. Like what what you're saying, like it, it kind of is the the quintessential reason that teams like to bring in big name guys outside of you know they think they're actually going to help contend it's to fill the seats and this now gives you a, a reason to attend a Phillies game like sure you know Aaron Nola was worth going out to see and Jake Arrieta is not the Cy Young pitcher he was but like as a name and for the casual fan that's going to be big they're going to hype up the World Series win and the Cy Young award and they're going to get people to sell out for those uh, those games and like we've been talking about they have good young players that are worth going to see but like having a a, a big name pitcher let's be honest like in the 08 let's even say 9 10 and, and 11 seasons people always check the probable pitchers right and you always wanted to end up with the Cole game or you wanted to end up with Cliff or with Roy and i think it's you know it's got to be similar here right like it it's certainly I'm not looking to go to a game that Vince Velasquez is going to pitch in because I'd I'd rather do just about anything than watch a guy because you don't want it to be two hours later in the fourth inning. Yeah, with 105 <laughs> pitches to his credit and then have some guy like sit in the back and go, and I'm telling you, man, he's got a lot of real good yeah, stuff. And you're like, John, high you should I've, I've used the word John. high ceiling or the words high ceiling with Vince Velasquez at least 10 times in stories so far. I mean, uh, the day that he makes the Brett Myers switch from the rotation to the bullpen will be the happiest day of my life. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's coming, but we'll see. I mean, decent spring so far. So far, I mean, I'm at the point with the Phillies after the last five years. Like you're talking about, like, well, they they went out and signed Arietta. Like I'm at the point where like I would eat whatever whatever tobacco John Middleton produces. Like I would I would just buy pounds of it and eat it and and, and support him that way if it offsets the cost of Arietta in like any way possible. Like that's where I'm at. Like I'm that desperate. Like I will. I will send John Middleton money myself. Like, I don't even have to buy the tickets. It'll just be a, a Venmo, <laughs> maybe even. Like, that's that's where I'm at with John Middleton. Like, I, I just... He needs just your money, clearly. Get players. get Take my money. Make them okay. Like, I, you don't have to be good. Just be okay. Like, that's that's where I'm at with them it's right now. the only thing that makes me nervous, even, like, with next year, if you look at the free agent class going, going forward, if you're looking for another rotation piece, and maybe why it was such a, an important thing for the Phillies to go out and make this signing, like... Uh, I'm admittedly not as up on my baseball as I used to be, but like guys like Adam Wainwright, who is a name that popped out from a few years ago, he's going to be 36 at that point. And like going down this list of like top salary guys, it's like James Shields, Scott Casimir, Dallas, is it Koikel? Because I read that like it's German. Is it Kugel? Koikel? Uh, Marco Estrada, Jay Happ, Zach Britton, Brandon McCarthy, David Robinson, Cody Allen. Like, you know what I mean? Like th- these guys aren't uh, like CC Sabathia. Does anybody want him on as a 37 year old? Does anybody want, you know, former MLB 2K5 great Francisco Liriano as a starter? You know what I mean? Like I, I think if nothing else, this Arietta signing kind of also helps you <laughs> kind of bridge the gap because next year's free agent class really does look like it's more of a position player uh, free agency class and, and not so much, um, you know, on, on the top end starting pitcher you know, kind of thing. Right. Craig Kimbrell will and, be and an interesting your, and, signing, though. I, I would be interested to see, based on where they're at, if they feel like they can make that next step. Does uh, Craig Kimbrell kind of become the uh, the reincarnation of Jonathan Papelbon? It's not like it's ever gone poorly having a, a Red Sox closer becoming a Phillies closer. I, I do think Kershaw can opt out. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't know You're that right. he will, but You're I right mean, that, that. that is, that's intriguing, certainly. But, uh, you know, that, that's not a foregone conclusion. Even Is if he Boris out, his agent? I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, go ahead. Because let's do not assume know that. if it, if it is, 
then I think we could probably say it would be safe to assume. The, the other Sports. guy that's kind of interesting is is Cole Hamels. That's the other guy that, mm-hmm. you know, there's some people that are like, well, maybe, you know, the Rangers, if they take a step back, could he be a trade option? And, and yeah. I think there's a $20 million, clu- uh, $20 million club option, I'm pretty sure. Um, but he's a guy that, that a lot of people have kind of said, like, well, is there a scenario where if the Phillies got competitive again, is that is that the piece that you add to, to kind of... Cole's falling off so much, Again though. and yeah. again and again. Is this again? Yeah. Is this again? Yeah. Uh, at know. Fox Sports. What was um, that? Was that your Cole? <laughs> that, was, that, was Cole that was Cole Hamels. <laughs> no, Cole, Cole, you have to say, uh, you know, and, uh, you mm. know, I'm, uh, you know... Russ, were you really alive big, you for know? the again and again and again speech? <laughs> I'm, I'm dying. I'm you don't remember sad. Desi Relliford? No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fox Sports, yeah. make the postseason. Thumbs up or down. They have a little, they have a little hashtag social content out here uh, showing Carlos Santana, Reese Hoskins, and Jake Arrieta. Uh, will the Phillies make the postseason? Yes or no? No, but... <laughs> Right, like as of right now, I'm just saying that's it's a national topic getting bandied about in the sphere. I think you could and, like, uh, I think you could make an argument. Remember, like oh five, oh six, uh, right before they made the postseason, where they were kind of competitive, and then they they made you want to rip your hair out at the end of the season. They kind of just kept falling short. Uh, I think that that Craig Biggio's bomb yeah, off of Wagner is still yeah. traveling over that left field. Did you know that the food, the fans booed him uh, when he didn't hit a hundred miles an hour? Uh, <laughs> former shortstop. Uh, what? Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, do we have anything else on Arietta? Russ, I thought your point about putting butts in the seats, uh, is, is a good one. Uh, I will certainly, thanks Kyle. I have not been watching a lot of Phillies these last few years and that sucks because there is, uh, nothing, nothing I like more, uh, throughout the course of the summer than being able to put a game on every night, but they've been so unbearably unwatchable for the most part that, uh, NOLA were really the only games I would even consider putting on as of late. Uh, th- these are now appointment viewing. When Arietta's pitching, uh, the TV's on. I know that it it doesn't make sense for the Phillies to have Scott Kingery on the opening day roster because they could potentially, what is it, lose a year of uh, team control if he's on the roster before April something or other. Um, but, man, I, I really do wish that we'd get to see him. I, I hope it's not something where it's just a September call-up. I think if he's up here, he makes the team better. It's not like he's going to be, you know, a... Uh, a guy that has like a like a five or six war, but I, I could definitely see him being a useful piece in what should be a, a constantly rotating infield. You know what I mean? Like at, at least that's where I kind of sit on on Kingery. I'm 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 very much on the Scott Kingery train. I want Kingery up, and I want LeBron James to sign so we can you know <laughs> say like a king and a king or something like that. That would be great. Or like King me. Yeah, I don't know how deep you guys want to get into this. The, the guy's a player. He's like he's one of those guys that like forget forget the production, forget the numbers for a second or trying to compare him to like current players. He's the type of guy that can change the perception of a team. Like when you say like that team, they they're a, they scrap or the you know, they're that team's full of grinders. Well, he's the guy that I think can help kind of set whatever tone the Phillies are going to be for the next few years. I I think he's a guy that works his butt off. He can hit for average. In the last couple of years, he's really developed some some power, um, and that's really not his game. He's more of a speed guy. He's more of a contact guy, good defensive player. Now he's added this gap power, home run power. Um, I, I think that he's the type of guy that's going to define the character of this team over the next few years. And I know people are excited about Reese Hoskins. I think he's a good player. I think he's a good hitter. I don't think he's anything like what you saw that first month that he was up. If you're expecting a, a future 
six-time All-Star, 320, 45 home run guy. Like, that's not what he is. But I think Scott Kingery is the one guy the fans are going to identify with in this city. And I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about him, especially when you look at what they have at third base. If you want to know where the at-bats are going to come from, you like Cesar Hernandez and, and you think J.P. Crawford's going to get the majority of this, the starts at shortstop, just look at the guy at third base. I mean, I made a case for him over the offseason that he's a guy that, that has all this talent and that because where the Phillies are, where they are, you can kind of afford to go into this season and, and take one more long extended look at Michael Franco and uh, – he is doing the same thing this spring that he has done the last two seasons. And uh, there was a game yesterday they played, and I actually tweeted about this a, a little bit. Um, he struck out on a, a low and away pitch in the dirt, had no feel for it. And then he, the next at bat, he gets ahead 3-1. Like, ah, I don't want to get like two, two in-depth here. 3-1 pitch, bases loaded. Guy on the mound comes in in the middle of the inning. He can't throw a strike. He has no idea where the ball is going coming out of his hand. And he throws a pitch on the the lower outer half of the plate. It's a borderline strike, not a pitch that a three one you know, in, in a three one count you want to swing at. And rather than than laying off of it or trying to take it the other way, which he just will not do, he rolls over and hits a chopper to third. They go you know five two three double play out of the. Was inning. it an off speed pitch? It was not. It was actually a fastball, and he just rolled over on the spot of it. And it, it just it's just terrible. Uh, That's a bummer. I would have said sign him to a five-year, $125 million <laughs> yeah. deal and just call him yeah, Ronnie. I mean, that would yeah. be fantastic. Uh, yeah. I know. But uh, had that before. You know, I think that that's where the at-bats are going to come from, though, for Kingery. I mean, there, there's going to be plenty of places you can play him to get him the at-bats he needs. But, yeah, a couple weeks in, you're, you're going to see him. And Tommy Joseph. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Kyle, yeah. Did, did you really want to get into the the – March Madness stuff. Well, I feel like you downplay it because you don't like college basketball. It's a big deal today. The bracket reveal is All a big right. deal. I just want to touch on a few things. Did the, you watch the the TBS show? It was dr- truly dreadful. And I know it's in vogue to hate on everything that is, uh, you know, new or different or TV or whatever it is. No one was going to like that, regardless of how good it was. It sucked. The audio, I mean, forget about the audio being out of sync from the beginning, which is just embarrassing. I mean, for any Wait, live. Really? Yes, the audio was out of sync for a good five to ten minutes at the start of it. Um, they are so inside their own heads, and we don't have to spend too much time because the selection show in this day and age is kind of stupid. But it used to be fun. Within 30 minutes, they would get the brackets out. They would go line by line. There was a little bit of suspense. You were waiting to see your team. You didn't know when it was coming, which added to it. The whole point of it being fun was you don't know. Am I going to find out right away? Do I have to wait 30 minutes? Is my team in? Are they out? Where am I playing? What's our seed? Like There was a little bit of suspense. And then last year, I forget exactly what they did, but they dragged that thing out so goddamn long and made it unwatchable and jammed in countless commercials and completely jumped the shark with it. So this year they overreacted by, here, we're going to name you all of the automatic bids within the first 10 minutes, which, by the way, took 15 minutes. Then we'll go to commercial and we'll read you in alphabetical order all of the at-large bids. But again, the whole suspense of it is seeing those names pop up on the line and they buried that towards the end. And even that, they went through quickly and they had already blown who was going to be the one seeds. Like, it was just very weirdly done. Like, just do the bracket and do it fast. Like, that's what people were asking for. And instead, they completely changed the format, standing in front of a studio audience. It was just, uh, it was just dumb. Like, I don't Can I know. disagree with you? Yeah, go ahead. And it, it's most, I don't even know if it's, if it's arguing for the sake of arguing, but doesn't Probably. it kind of give you like a double thrill though? Like, no. if you're one of the, why not? Like, if you're a team, 
or you support a team that you're not sure is going to make the tournament. So you find out. I wouldn't know what that's that, like. No, but I'm saying. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> you find out. Uh, I don't know who one of the last teams in was. Let me look at this bracket. So, like, let's say that you're a fan of UNCG, whoever the bleep that is. Or let's say you're a San Diego State fan. Okay. So San Diego State is an 11 seed, right? Mm-hmm. So if you find out that your team makes the tournament and you're excited about it, all right, that's that's the first layer. You know that they're in. And then you can decide if you want to stick around for the rest of the show to see who they're going to be playing against and in what in what region. And then but it's kind do, of like a second reveal. By the way, they no, won no, their conference no, no, I know, but I'm, so of course they were in. Okay, so Montana, who's a 14 seed. But you know what, you know what I'm saying? Like it's it's kind of... So Providence, who's a ten seed, <laughs> right, right, okay. No, but seriously, but you know what I mean. Like it's it's Providence kind of like a, a double thrill. Seed? Are they a ten seed? Yeah, Providence oh, that's is a criminal. Ten seed. Texas oh, they're they're going to the Sweet Sixteen. That team's good. The defense. They're playing. They're matched up against Texas. A&M they're going to beat North in Carolina first. in the second round. I don't. I don't see them beating North Carolina. That's Kyle, strong, yeah. dude. Their to... their defense. Their defense is seriously the best I've seen Nova go up against the entire season. They Have were you looked def- at the Nova bracket. At this the, point, yeah. So here, well, okay. Well, yeah, that, we'll see. So, we'll see in the final four with them. I mean, you know. no. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, I love. Look, here. Here's the way I look at the brackets. Um, very few people around here watch a significant amount of college ball. So everyone, and you know, the the and this is a national thing too. People see the bracket. They look for the big name teams. If you don't see any big name teams, you're like, hey, you know, my team's got a shot. Immediately last year, seeing the possibility of Nova going up against Wisconsin in the second round, and people are still giving me shit for whining about this. That team is a perennial Final Four contender. I know they 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 still don't have their old coach, uh, Bo uh, Bo. What's his face? Ryan Bo, Bo, Bo Ryan. Ryan. Thank you. Um, but that was a sh- it's a shit matchup for Nova, a big lumbering Midwest team uh, that wants to play slow. That is not Nova's game. Nova has enough skill to play fast. Uh, and will happily do so and be able to do so with most, most of, if not all, teams in the country. That was a bad matchup, let alone you're going up against a powerhouse team with talented players. And lo and behold, the, the number one, uh, you know, a number one seed got a really shit draw against a team that very reasonably could have been a six seed. This year, I am, I am in love. I am in love with Nova's uh, side of the bracket. I, you I don't, don't fear think... West Virginia in the Sweet 16, the Kevin King, that's K, a, Kyle that's exactly Scott it. matchup. That's what I want. It's not wrong to want that, right? I mean, some no, people like to watch I, the world burn. I'm actively rooting for that. I am as well. I am as well. Look, when you get and they're like, going to lose to Murray State, you just watch. Like <laughs> no, that, that'll be the most West Virginia thing ever, right? Like I feel. Why is it that it always feels like I need to ask Kevin about this? But like, it always feels like West Virginia sports are always so hyped up, and then it they just they always have a reason why the wheels fell off. I don't. I feel know. like they're always such an underachieving team. I don't know a ton about Virginia Tech this year. Virginia Tech worries me a little bit. Just they've had some good from, wins. Yeah, they've yeah, actually had yeah. some very good wins this year, yeah. They play they play a tough schedule. They've had some good wins. That worries me a little bit, but they want to play up-tempo, and as does, I guess, according to the broadcast, Alabama. I'm all in on that. Like, that's a second-round matchup I can get my head around. Yes, they're teams from power conferences, but Nova is just, flat-out all-around better, and they're playing a style of basketball that Nova wants to play, and Villanova's going to be able to out-defend them. So that's an edge. But then after that, like, the other teams in here, yeah, you got West Virginia, but, like, you don't have, again, Wichita State can, can yeah. quote-unquote, shock anybody any season. You know, Florida. I mean, like, Florida's you're going still, up against big, yeah, scary. big programs. But Purdue, like, Purdue, if you have to have a number two seed, give me Purdue. Nova beat them last year there. Uh, you know, a good, largely a 
the same players on both teams. Like that is a, again a matchup I will take. Purdue lost in the uh, Atlantis tournament. Nova got never got to play them in November. Um, but again, like you're, to be able to avoid. Uh, I would love to play Xavier because I think Villanova. Might I'll tell you what about that. Virginia Tech. Like, if you look up Virginia Tech, right? They beat UNC, they beat Duke, they beat UVA. Like, I mean, Virginia Tech's got some really good wins. Uh, they beat Clemson, who's a top twenty team. I mean, Kyle, I don't think yeah, this the, is as easy as you might want but, it to be. But I mean, I agree with you. I do think that Villanova is a Final Four team, but that, that Virginia Tech team. Geez. No, but they're good. But they also have eleven losses, and you have to remember sure. playing within conference. Like, look at the Providence Villanova. Yeah. Yeah. Providence is a yep. ten seed, but they're three straight overtime games against Xavier. Uh, two of them being against Xavier and Villanova, who are number one seeds. So, like, conferences, you know, you're always going to have upset wins in your conference. The point is, I don't like. Look, it's Jay, Jay Wright says this every year. It's the NCAA tournament. You're going to play good teams. Even your first-round game is going to be against a team who just is playing the best they've ever played potentially in the history of their school if they're a 15 or 16 seed. Yeah, it's like how Tim Riley's Penn team is going to knock off Kansas in there the first go. round. There you there go. There you go. But, you know, like the point is you're going to play a power conference team as early as the second round. 06, Nova, one seed, they draw Arizona in the second round. You know, you get UCLA the the year um, they went to the Final Four in 2009. Um, you get, what, Miami and or Iowa and, and then Miami in the uh, second and third rounds the year they won the championship. You're going to get power conference teams. I am happy that it's a team that's playing a style of basketball that Nova wants to play because they can play up tempo, but they're going to defend and rebound a hell of a lot better than Virginia Tech. And like, I'll take that. I'm not. It's not a guaranteed win by any stretch, but I'll take that any day of the week over a team like Wisconsin. And then after that, like, you know, Nova is the class of this thing, and it's not, and it's not even up for debate. Whereas if you're in a thing with potentially Duke and/or North Carolina, or even you know obviously Cincy or Virginia, you know it's a it's a different ballgame. So I'm all in on this bracket, all in on it. And you got Pittsburgh and Boston to get to the Final Four. I mean, come on. You know, speaking of winning basketball, the Sixers just beat uh, Brooklyn one twenty to ninety seven. Um, I was watching the last few minutes there. Rashawn Holmes, man, like. I know people want to see him play, but I watched him get lost on the last like two or three possessions of that game. And then like the typical Rashawn thing is making the highlight block, but that's after he let a guy cut into the lane. He lost his assignment out to the three-point arc, got kind of caught in the middle, and then you know blocked the hell out of the guy from behind. Um, that game, Embiid had 21 points, 8 rebounds. Covington had 19 points. Saric, again, has a big game, 18.6 rebounds. Um, they are now 7-4. and four. Um, in their last 11 games. Uh, can, should, could I talk about this thing quick, or did you want to go back to the – did you want to talk more about Nova? Well, you completely uh, shirked my uh, my Nova thing. But, no, that's that's all Sorry. I got. They're playing 650 on Thursday, by the way. Times are out. All right, that's good to know. Um, the, the only thing that I wanted to say about the Sixers, I did a post on this uh, today. The New York Times ran this, like, awful article that I don't recommend seeing unless you just want to see, like, how – a national outlet sends in like a second or third or fourth tier writer to go in and and do like a cursory article about like that essentially speaks to a narrative, but doesn't actually get any kind of reporting done. Um, The New York times ran this article where all they did was kind of pick up the narrative of Markel Fultz having lost his jump shot and not being able to find it anywhere. And then just kind of like left the question out there. Oh, you know, Nobody seems to know what's going on, and the team doesn't talk about it, and the player doesn't really seem to know what's going on, doesn't quote or cite 
any sources, talk about any coaches, any players. It's just this person went to go like watch a game and mention the fact that when Simmons had a, a highlight dunk that Fultz kind of crossed his arms, applauded gently, and then like left the floor at the end of the game. It's just stupid. And pulled a Marcus Hayes and talked about an exchange between two fans talking about it all being in his head. So I'm really glad that, you know, that's what the New York Times is putting out now. It's just like anonymous fan drivel that's going on, you know, outside of the Chickies and Pete stand or something. So uh, that's great reporting. Sorry. I, I just. Well, who did you I'm, say did that reporting? The, the it was what? it was it was the New York Times. I wonder if that guy works with Tyler Kepner. I don't know, but say, ooh, <laughs> see, but like here's, Should've I guess like this is this is the problem that I Should've I kind of come a newsletter that I kind of come back around to though is like the New York Times has a, a really legitimate NBA reporter, and so I I don't I don't totally get this. Like Mark Stein writes for the New York Times, he is the lead basketball writer for them. He's always been a very good writer and and like gets the job done. If you're gonna write an article like that, send Mark Stein in. Send him into the locker room, have him interview players and coaches, even off the record, and get some kind of insight. The thing that had me mad that I mentioned in the post is, you know, Jackie McMullen and Ramona Shelbourne have both released things in the last year that have been like bombshell news, like Jackie McMullen getting the info from Joel that the Sixers doctors thought his meniscus tear was going to take six months to recover from, and they were wrong again. And that, like, Ramona Shelbourne kind of, like, did the whole biopic where, like, they pulled back the curtain on why Joel likes to troll people online and, like, cited, you know, quotes from his teammates and, and from him himself. You know, if a national media outlet's going to go in and write an article, at least do your job. That That's the thing that, I guess, irritates me. And for people who are going to, you know, don't follow the Sixers all that much, they're going to read it and go, wow. And, and like, it just kind of keeps spreading this narrative of just confusion around faults, which... I get, but like, is true. By the way, okay, just, let me ask. Let me ask you guys something because I'm more of on the outside with the Sixers. Like, I watch them, I like them, whatever. But I don't pretend to know nearly as much about them as you guys do. Um, do you think that there's anything to be said for like uh, you look around the league and people kind of have a little animosity uh, towards the Sixers about how they they built this thing? Do you think that there's anything to be said for the fact that maybe other executives around the league talk to reporters and say, you know, do us a favor? paint them in a bad light you know we don't like what they did or we don't agree with their business so write this article spread this spread this idea that that this is a hot mess over there and that they're they're having some success right now in spite of the fact uh, of their own incompetency like do do you think that there's anything to be said for that no i think there are mm, no i i think what happens is writers have their sources and their sources are in their ears um, giving their opinion, and it frames what what you write. And I think every self-respecting writer would try and deny that. Um, but the fact of the matter is, uh, everyone is is a human, and if you're hearing it from someone you trust and are covering and respect, and obviously they have some sort of knowledge about this specific topic that you cover, be it sports or something else, I do think those opinions can begin to influence. Uh, your writings. That said, I don't, I don't know how much truly negative stuff we've seen from the national press about the Sixers. I would say largely, 
at least in terms of the content farms and the treatment of the Sixers in the new, you know, new media or the mainstream's version of new media has been. Yeah, I guess I'm just thinking excellent. more like Bill Simmons. Uh, you I, know, but see, I, I agree. And, no, but see, I think, well, I think Bob is a has fan a point. Boy. I, yeah, Bob, yeah. Bob, I think has a point, and and it's and it's in this, I guess, kind of frame. So when Hinky was still the GM, a lot of the the people, the sources that were coming out were either agents who were upset that you know their their mid-level or lower-level free agents weren't getting the time of day from the Sixers. There were agents that were upset in the way that Hinky was structuring rookie deals, specifically like the K.J. McDaniels uh, kind of <clears throat> deal where, where part of the contract is non-guaranteed. Yes. So agents were upset, and then there were also... Other GMs that just didn't like the fact that, you know, he was so shrewd that he, you know, he he didn't apparently mince words with other GMs. The fact that, you know, the public perception was Hinky never lost a trade. Like, I, I do think that there was part of that. I think in the aftermath of him leaving, it was more kind of uh, like ding dong, the witch is dead from the GM perspective. But you'll even see like in, in articles that were written around like the Sloan Analytics Conference. So much of the coverage that that kind of came out around that, there were league executives and everything who said, you know, even though we didn't like the way that Hinky did it, th- it's really hard to argue it when you have Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and if if Fultz ever comes back, and like the fact that he had you know claimed Robert Covington off the scrap heap, and, and you know he's been up and down, more down than up as you know since signing his extension, but guys like him and McConnell, like it's it's worked. the The plan that he had put in place worked, and if it nets you a Ben Simmons. And a Joel Embiid, then it's worth it. That's why guys like Mark Cuban, when they go on like Dr. J's podcast that no one knew about, you know, he he's going to say that that tanking is worth it and then have to step it back. It's just funny, like in a in that league and the way that Adam Silver structures everything and the way that, you know, he's so progressive and forward minded. He's also kind of tyrannical. Um, you know, there there were reports it was uh, Chicago had been sitting a couple of their starters. They were kind of mentioning that they might not see a lot of time. They wanted to see what the young guys looked like, which is, you know, NBA code for we're tanking. And now, like, Adam Silver's threatening to fine. Um, it, it's just, it's kind of silly. And I get that they have to uphold, you know, the, the integrity of the product they're putting out. People buy tickets. But, like, at the same time, I don't really think the league has any right to uh to tell a team no you know sacramento you have to play zach randolph and vince carter you know how dare you try to check out any of these like 20 year old foreign prospects that you have you know on your 15 man roster it it's this weird kind of hypocrisy thing that like adam silver has also kind of overseen and still hasn't been successful in changing and lottery reform and everything that hinky you know was uh targeted for they still haven't gotten anything done yeah, so, I, it's a very it's a long winded answer, but like there are a lot of elements at this, and I do think that you know at this point, I think it was more you're, true. You're beating a dead horse to go after Hinky now, right? But, but uh, hold the on, results I think are there. it was I think it was more true uh, when Hinky was here, and I definitely think there's something to that. Um, you have to remember that people, um, if clearly, like you said, er- everything has worked probably better than even anybody could have anticipated, and I think what happens is when people know that someone is getting the best of them. There is a level of jealousy that comes into play there, and it might not be uh, something noticeable it, subconsciously. You know, the subconscious animosity towards certain people like Hinky from league people in league circles, uh, the commissioner or whatever, you know, fuels that, and it comes up to reporters, and then it can color reports like like we saw then. I don't think we see that anymore. I, I largely think people are uh, genuinely in, in favor and and the national media kind of loves the Sixers. So I don't think that's the case anymore. But yeah, definitely during the Hanky thing. As for this Fultz article, I just thought it was 
lazy, you have to remember that you know you're speaking to a national audience. So a lot of times, what we're gonna get is not um, the full. You know, you know, it's going to be the things we already know, but a national audience might really want to get clued in on. I think this does do that, but it does it in a very lazy way that really isn't befitting the New York Times. It's befitting like a mid-level SB Nation article uh, rather yep. than the New York Times. It's something but it's, I would it, write now. But, but it, like seriously, but it's written like the only thing about it that I kind of kept coming back to is it's written with the kind of journalistic narrative, I guess. You know, where, which is the, hacky, the, by like, the way. Yeah, and yeah. and it's like. You know, parts that I, I really highlighted in it were them kind of. <laughs> God, I, I don't want to like rehash the whole thing here, but like it was written like an old timey sports article, and I, I don't yeah. think it was as much of a crime as you do because I think it was just a way to explain this situation. And there is a, a genuine intrigue and mystery and some imma- uh, immaturity there on the part of Fultz, I'm sure, and I think that was you know came across in this. But yeah, yeah but there, like, I, it this, could have been done part, much better, the, and you could have actually you could have used that tone and then actually friggin' talked to people and gotten some quotes and and that's done it the that thing. Way. Yeah, it, like the gym still empty of fans was as quiet as a grave. He lifted the basketball a foot from his forehead. He drew in a breath. Like seriously, that's that's what you're writing. Like that's typically the point where like there should be the the quote from uh, his his uh, trainer Williams to talk about like. Uh, the the change in his shot or like what it felt sad like watching a dancer try to remember how to pirouette seriously <laughs> that's what we're writing there are, there are hundreds and thousands of people getting laid off across this country in sports media and that's what the new york times is rolling out that's it seriously it's it's as if they wrote this thing uh it the the game that the guy apparently was at was on march 2nd i looked it up because he he cited the um uh the score line it was like I think a one a one ten ninety win or something, but it's like seriously, you you were there for a day, you didn't get anybody on the record, and you wrote this piece as if it was supposed to be like one of those Zach Lowe you know ten thousand word dives, and then like somewhere along the line, the Sixers just said enough, enough, fam. Like if if you're not Mark Stein, like you're not you're not getting access. I don't get it. Whatever, who cares? I it's just me getting upset, but I was mad. Yeah. All right. <laughs> So <laughs> we started. We started. We started with Let Jake Arrieta. <laughs> we started with Jake Arrieta. We had a big announcement. We talked about the NCAA, and we somehow, you know, worked the Sixers back in. Um, a really fun moment as we get off here. Um, Sirius XM NFL Radio. Um, there was a, a quote from Jordan Matthews. He said, "Had two surgeries this off season on my ankle and knee. I think people will go back to my tape with the Eagles and know that I was trending as a number one wide receiver before all the injuries." He's used the phrase trending as the number one wide receiver. He sure did. So, uh, yeah, that's exciting. <laughs> Leave it there. I want to feel that. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, not not enough speed, can't get open outside, used his size inside to create, you know, leverage. Uh, he wasn't a all this, I and we didn't, get, even, we didn't even get to get the, uh, the, the Eagles, the Eagles trade of Torrey Smith to get a young cornerback. <laughs> no, like, I mean, no, which but, is fine. We don't need to hash that out, but like. I, I don't get it. So uh, what do you think about Nick Foles? Should they uh, should they trade him? Six one zero. Seriously, <laughs> Bob, when you tweeted that today, I, I was just so happy that it's not just me who's getting frustrated. Like I don't listen to sports talk radio pretty much at all anymore because I get so sick and tired of them having that same conversation. I like, do though. Like I I I want it to be better. I I do listen every time I get in the car. I turn it on. I I don't know. I glutton for punishment. I mean, it, what I said about this was just. 
I I am under the the belief that yes, obviously what they do with Nick Foles is the the dominant headline of this offseason, right? Like that is the key thing for them to figure out. But at this point, what else is there to be said? They're either going to trade him because they're going to get value for him or they're not because they want the insurance policy because Carson Wentz might not be ready for week one, right? Yeah, that's that's like, all there is to it. That's, that's little, it. There's pretty much nothing that can change the narrative around it. We right? haven't developed any new news. We don't know anything about it. We don't know what the offers are. We don't know what the market is. And it, so why have we been talking about this for the last month? Like every single day, it is the the main topic. And I'm not the guy that's like uh, sports radio stinks, whatever. I mean, these guys, they work hard. There's a lot of good people in this city that, that fill the airways. But I just – what the hell else is there to say about trading or holding on to Nick Foles? And, and that's my point. Like, I just don't get – the conversation made sense initially, but absent new information, what are we doing? And, you know, that was my that was my little rant of the day, I guess. I don't, and I don't it, know. Again, that's why we come back to Crossing Broad, having a podcast network rolling out uh, relatively soon so that people don't have to feel as though the uh, 40 minutes or the hour and a half they spend in the car on their commutes every day has to be taken up. By, you know, in that I I would say that within an hour and a half time, you probably spend at least 20 to to 30 minutes of that time listening to commercials and probably of that hour that remains. You've probably got, I don't know, uh, 20-ish minutes of phone calls, depending on which station you have, maybe up to like 35 minutes of phone calls listening to uh, Bernie and Broomall or or Nick and Fishtown. So basically you have to decide, do you want Bernie and Broomall or do you want like actual Tyler Kepner? Yeah, and we're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, of course, is why people pick the Crossing Broadcast. As I'm going to hit with an iTunes yes. review here, a five star, as we uh, make our way out of here. Uh, very Which fitting. always seems from, to take from, a good uh, eight minutes. From Eagle Murph, replacing sports radio, five stars. You guys are so much better at night. Please continue. Um, oh, this person had a shot at Adam. I, he's not here to defend himself. We'll leave it out. Uh, Kyle, please keep your well-deserved and entertaining ripping of Russ brief and get back on topic. Love the show, and I enjoy your guests. See that, Bob? You got love. There you go. Awesome. Hashtag Bob love. It might have been um, Kevin that it. they were referring to. What? We'll, we'll see. Yes, well, you, you know put what? your trade tables up. We're uh, hitting yeah. our final approach. All right. Uh, this has been the Crossing Broadcast. Of course, uh, follow us on Twitter. But a holding Joy pattern. O- oh, my God. <laughs> at Joy on Broad, at Crossing Broad. And, of course, I'll be on the ground at, about BW, <laughs> at BW Crossing Broad. Uh, we will talk to you again on Wednesday. The hype is real. Jake Arrieta is a Philly. Other in Philly's a little bit and, windy, but otherwise a nice day. <laughs> go off and live your Thanks life. Enjoy your day. Talk to you Wednesday.